dismiss our children to Kingdom Kids. If you are ages four to nine, uh, you are invited to a special program for you, and the teacher will meet you in the uh, foyer, take you across to our CE Center. If you've got kids younger than that and you need some help, we have a nursery downstairs in this building. Um, if you're older than nine, well, you're stuck. Here you are. You're here with, here with me. So Romans 16, I hope you'll open your Bibles and turn, uh, turn with us together to Romans chapter 16, the very end of this letter and our journey throughout this year in uh, this uh, mountain peak of uh, Scripture, and we've been climbing, climbing together. Romans 16, verses 17 and following will be our passage this morning. Every parent knows how hard it can be as you raise your kids to strike the right balance between caution and confidence. It seems like we're always saying, hey, be be careful, be careful, watch out, watch out. Partly because little ones have more energy than they do fine motor skills. You know, that's why milk gets spilled. Uh, Mostly we say those things because we've got more experience in life. We see dangers that they don't. We can imagine all the possible catastrophes of that particular uh, line of behavior. We can, we can overemphasize caution, though, sometimes in our safety-oriented culture, and we know that that can have some bad effects. We overemphasize caution. We're all, when, when all we say to our kids is, be, be careful, be, be careful, slow down, be careful, we can create anxiety in them and on a kind of paralysis or sort of freeze up because they're afraid, uh, afraid of the world, afraid to fail, unwilling to take risks. And so then, then we swing, of course, as parents to the other direction, we, we can put more effort into instilling confidence and we say, I believe in you, I know you can do it, you got this. And, and there is certainly a place for that, instilling confidence. But of course, there's, you, you go too far. If you lean too far in that direction, uh, are you preparing them to face the real dangers in this world? If it's like, yeah, just go out there. You got this. Well, okay. Are we, will they know how to process their own failures if all we give them is confidence? As we come to the very end of Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, we're going to hear Paul strike what I believe is the right balance between caution and confidence. Not somewhere in the middle, not a little bit of both mixed together, but a serious warning of genuine threats and a certain hope that is found in God and in the good news of Jesus Christ. He is our confidence. So Romans 16, verse 17, we'll read to the end. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisypiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him 
who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. That's the end of the letter. Now, we included those uh, greetings in 21 to 23 with all those in verses 1 to 16 last week. So for this week, that really leaves two sections that I'm going to summarize in this way. It's up on the screen. Look out for those who would destroy you and look up to God who will deliver you through Christ. Look out for those who would destroy you and look up to God who will deliver you through Christ. Look out, look up. Caution and confidence. Let's start with the caution. Part one, look out. There are those who tear apart the church and trip up believers. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Now, way back in chapter 12, verse 14, Paul talked about the Christian response to their opponents. Echoing Jesus' words, Paul said, bless those who persecute you. And that seemed to be talking about the opposition from outside the church, persecutors. This seems to be talking about a threat from within the church. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't need to clarify, as he does in the next verse, verse 18, that they do not serve our Lord Christ, or the fact that they are deceptive. They'll, they'll fool you. They'll trick you. We'll talk more about that verse, verse 18, in our next point. But th- this helps us understand who Paul is warning them about, the kind of uh, people that, he's, that they need to, to look out for. Some Christians are not what they seem. So, okay, so how do you know who the bad guys are? Well, uh, think back to Jesus' words. This is from Matthew 7, verse 15 and following. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. Uh, okay, prophet, p- people who seem, claim to speak for God. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. A bit later, he says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So it's not enough to just say, hey, I'm a prophet, or I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I'm an evangelist. I'm 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 anointed of the Lord. That's not enough. You got to recognize them by their fruits. And what's the fruit? What what is the fruit Paul is warning the church about in Romans 16, verse 17? They cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Basically, all that Paul has been uh, unfolding, unpacking throughout this letter. Now, look carefully. He doesn't say that they teach false doctrine. I think they do. I think that's implied. They're teaching wrong things, but they have the effect. That's what he's focused on here. The effect of tearing the church apart, tripping up believers, unlike the gospel that Paul has been teaching in this letter that builds people up, that brings people together in Christ through the gospel. The word translated here as obstacles is the same word he used earlier in this letter to describe stumbling blocks. And that image is always used, not just in Paul, but throughout Scripture as uh, something to describe a catastrophic fall. 
So not like you taking a, a hike through the uh, beautiful fall foliage and you hit a little twig or pebble and you, you, you know, a little, little jiggle there, but you, you're back on your, you're, you're moving forward. You continue on. No, this, this is something that causes people to fall. This is about their spiritual destruction, crash and burn. That explains the difference in response. Outside opposition, bless those who persecute you. Inside opposition, wolves in sheep's clothing, watch out, stay away. This is a danger that you cannot let in. Now remember that in each of the last three chapters, 14, 15, 16, Paul told the church to welcome others into the fellowship, welcome the weak in faith, welcome one another in 15. Here in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Phoebe. Phoebe is a stranger to the church in Rome. Paul commends her to them as a servant of the church. Welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. Yes, welcome Phoebe. Yes, she is faithful. You can trust her. Those who would tear apart the church, trip up believers, no, watch out, avoid. Verse 18 continues to describe these troublemakers. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Next part, look out. They only serve themselves as they sweet talk the unsuspecting. Now, appreciate this. What a contrast this is to all the hardworking believers that Paul described in verses 1 to 16 that we looked at last week, remember? There, we, we could point out, if you, if you read carefully through the chapter, there are nine different people in this chapter that Paul describes as servants or workers, and even more specifically, he says in verse 9, a fellow worker in Christ. Or verse 12, workers in the Lord, who, who worked hard in the Lord. Not these guys. Not these guys in verse 18. Oh, they're busy, they're working, but they do not serve our Lord Christ. They serve their own appetites. If you're looking at the uh, English Standard Version, the same translation I'm using, there's a footnote there uh, under appetites. Uh, belly is maybe even more, is more literally the word there. Their belly is the Lord of their lives, which is kind of a funny picture. Uh, like, mm, just, I will bow before my, my belly. Now, I think the translators chose to, I always try to give translators the benefit of the doubt. Like, well, why didn't they translate it as belly? Well, it's just, it's just, that's what it means, what it says. Well, I think what they're doing there is uh, because they render this appetites, in at least our translation, because it's not limited to food issues. It's a, this is a, the belly is a metaphor for broader desires and cravings. They, they, might, they might want money, they might want sex, power, or just attention. But their hunger their desires, their cravings, their lusts are what drives them. That's who they're serving. And you cannot let that kind of person have influence in the church. That's what he's saying here. So uh, he says this elsewhere, uh, Philippians 3, verses 17 to 19. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many, on the other hand, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, if those 
people are serving themselves and not the Lord, do you think they're going to serve you well when they come to say, oh, listen to me, follow me, follow my example? They're not serving the Lord, they're serving themselves. Are they going to serve you well? No, they, they serve their belly. They're not going to sacrifice themselves for you. No, they're not going to lay down their lives in, in following Christ as a service to you. No, they only take their God as their belly. And how do they do that? This is the second part of verse 18. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They're taking advantage of them. They're fleecing the flock. They're taking for themselves. Now, they sound nice. Clearly, from this smooth talk and flattery, they sound so nice. Their presentation is so polished. Oh, they, they are put together. Now, I wonder if you've noticed, this, has, this, this threat has changed in some ways over the last generation or two. The sweet talkers who used to take advantage of the unsuspecting just in our last couple of generations, they used to be the, the evangelist in the really expensive suit and, and, and glittering cufflinks on TV. And then it, sort of, then it became the, the hipster pastor in, in pricey sneakers on YouTube. And today... It's the ex-evangelical, I don't know if you've heard that term, the ex-evangelical, the ex-evangelical on TikTok telling others how to deconstruct their faith. It's, it's changed over time. It's smooth talk because it has the air of authenticity and a certain kind of authority. The person, that person on TikTok, just talking into their phone. I'm just walking down the street talking to you about like the crazy things that are going on in church and the, the, the lies that they're trying to sell you out of the Bible. And it, it just sounds, it, you, this feels so real. I mean, you can believe that person. They're, they're, they're telling the truth, not your you know, boring old pastor reading out of some old Bible, but it's all flattery. Do you understand? Not, not flattery in the sense of, oh, you sure look nice today. Not, not, not flattery like that. Flattery isn't telling you how brave you are for leaving that outdated religion. How smart you are to think for yourself. You're not just following those, that, old, that old faith. Oh, sure, that means you're going to chuck God's word and 2,000 years of wisdom from the church. Oh, but you figured it all out. Flattery. Please, don't be so naive, Paul says. Verse 19 calls us to something better. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Next part, look out. This calls for true disciples to be discerning. This calls for true disciples to be discerning. Now, Paul doesn't want those believers in Rome to think, wow, Paul, you're, you're coming down kind of hard. You know, you don't, you don't know our situation. You know, we're, we're not naive. He, he assures them, yes, you, you do have a reputation for faithfulness. I'm confident. I know you're doing the right kind of things. I'm thrilled. I, I'm, I'm happy for you. But you need to have your eyes open to the dangers out there. And sometimes when we're feeling like, oh, yeah, we're, we got this. We're, we, we know the truth. We're, we're faithful. We're sound. We're orthodox. Oh, careful. Keep your eyes open. Look out. We live in a world that's in a battle of good versus evil. And Paul gave them, remember, some specific instructions for engagement back in chapter 12. 
Chapter 12, 9, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Or verse 17 of that chapter, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Or verse 21, chapter 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But think about it. You won't be able to do any of that if you don't know the difference between what is good and what is evil. If you can If you can recognize evil, you have to be able to recognize evil even when it's disguised as something good. I want you to be wise as to what is good and, he says, innocent as to what is evil. Now, that might sound a little confusing because he just just said the verse before, the naive will be deceived. And to us, maybe innocent sounds like the same thing as naivete. It's not. Paul is actually echoing in this verse, uh, he's echoing Jesus again, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as servants and innocent as doves. And it is something of a paradox. Christians need to be shrewd and savvy when it comes to the distortions and the lies that lead you astray. Now, we've all seen plenty of uh, pharmaceutical pharmaceutical advertisements, and please hear me, I'm not saying that they're all lies, but just follow my illustration here for a moment. Seen all those drug ads, right? And you have images. You know, they're playing images of smiling, happy people. They're riding bikes, and they're playing with their grandkids, or maybe they're rock climbing. They're like, wow. And, mean, and meanwhile, underneath is this voiceover, very quickly saying, uh, some serious side effects may occur, including infection, you know, spontaneous combustion, even death. <laughs> Whoa, this is incredible. Like, wow. So you need to be able to look past, my point is, you need to be able to look past the superficial presentation for the real threat. Be shrewd. Be savvy. Be street smart. Paul is saying, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Innocent as to what is evil. Not naive as meaning blissfully unaware, sucker born every minute, walking right into the traps that Satan lays for us. No, but someone who, because you are wise, also has the blessing and privilege of being innocent in the sense that you you didn't have to learn the hard way. So you don't have all the scars and the regrets that the fool has to live with. This is about the character and the skill that you need to be able to watch out for and to avoid those who would destroy the church and trip up believers, destroy believers. Now, when we're talking about this kind of watching out and avoiding, that's not being exclusive or judgmental. Yes, there is a judging. There is a, even another bad word in our uh, culture, discriminating. There is a right way to be discriminating not prejudiced, uh, but, but like, wait, wait, what's good and what's evil here? And yes, we're going to go with the good and we're not going to go with the evil. That, that kind of discernment and discrimination, that's not being judgmental. That's not discrimination in the negative sense. That's about loving your brothers and sisters enough to protect them. It's about loving the church as a whole enough to protect its life and its witness. It means we're careful around here about who teaches classes or small groups. We're careful about what books or curriculum that we use, even the songs that we sing. We're careful about 
Who gets to influence you? Caution is appropriate. There's dangerous stuff out there. Teachers, materials, even in Christian books and radio. And some, even in some of those influencers who don't seem like they're teaching anything, but they're out there deceiving the naive all the time. Don't be a fool. Now, if Paul ended right there, he might sound like an overprotective parent. Be careful, careful. And we would, uh, oh, oh my, who, who's, who's the threat? Where, where's it coming from? Close, our, close the letter and we're afraid to do anything because of the dangers out there. But he closes not with caution, but with confidence. And the confidence, folks, is not in us. It's, he doesn't say, hey, you, know, you guys are doing great. Go out there and get them. I believe in you. Let's, you know, go, go get them. Our confidence is in the Lord. So, look up. Look up. God will defeat the deceiver soon. Verse 20, first, just the first part of verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Let's read. Can we read that all out loud together? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen? Whoa. So much in one short sentence, and, and at least a few surprises. The God of peace will crush Satan. Now, most of the people would not put those two words, peace and crush, in the same sentence. It, it, now, if the, if someone out there has some idea of a supreme being and they think of them as a uh, of that being as a god of peace uh it, probably what they're thinking is you know he's just he's just pretty chill he's just mellow kind of he's he's where i go i connect to him to find my calm uh this sounds like a god of war and in fact it is because he is a god of peace committed to final shalom That's why he will defeat every threat, and he will defeat Satan himself, the first and ultimate deceiver. Remember the Garden of Eden? That's where Paul's mind is going. There were people infiltrating churches like Satan slithering into Eden, causing division, that is, destroying the peace, the harmony, the fellowship between people and their God, and between one another. Just as between the, the relationship was broken between Adam and Eve and God, fellowship broken, and, and between Adam and Eve themselves. Causing division, destroying the peace, harmony, fellowship, by deceiving the naive. Has God really said? Causing their spiritual downfall. But one day, the one whom Jesus called the father of lies will be defeated. This says that the one who tried to destroy God's people will be destroyed. And that's when we will enjoy peace, rest, harmony forever. We will live in peace in the presence of the God of peace. Are we looking forward to that? Yeah. When? This verse says soon. 
soon. Now, it's possible Paul is only referring to their immediate circumstances, that their, their specific satanic conflict will be resolved in the very near future. But in describing it as God's defeat of Satan himself, it at least links their near-term victory to Jesus' final victory at his return. That will be when the battle with evil is finally over. Okay, but if that's the case, how can he say soon? How can he say, see, did, did, did Paul think that Jesus was just about ready to return? Was Paul wrong? Are, are we wrong in still believing? Well, you know, he hasn't come yet, but he's probably gonna for sure soon this time. I, I, throughout the New Testament, whether it's Jesus in the Gospels or Paul in places like uh, Thessalonians, the consistent message is this. We don't know when Jesus will come. He, he is coming He's coming to bring final judgment, to to defeat the wicked, and to uh, deliver all those who are his, all those who are his by faith. He's coming to do that. We don't know when that will be, but we must always be ready. Because if you ignore, if you ignore the threat of final judgment, it will overtake you suddenly. Boom. Sometimes the get ready message is a warning for unbelievers. But for believers, especially those living through persecution, living through opposition, get ready. Get ready is a word of hope. Get ready. Get get ready. Get, Get ready is a word of confidence. He's coming soon, soon and very soon. Yes, it may not happen in your short lifetime. I know it feels like, oh, I've been waiting for decades. Okay, he might not come in your short lifetime, but it won't be long. But it won't be long before evil is defeated forever. Now, some of you know that he's, Paul is echoing here Genesis 3.15. And if you did know that, you're like, why did it take you so long to talk about that? So Genesis 3.15 comes right after Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden when they were deceived deceived by the serpent, by Satan, and then God's response, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, animosity, conflict, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring, Satan, and her offspring, he, the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And, and we know, if anyone, if anyone fulfills that that first promise, that first prophecy, it's Jesus. At, at his crucifixion, the serpent strikes Jesus, but even Jesus' death turns out to be, in some sense, only a superficial wound. I mean, yes, he died gruesomely and completely, and yet he rises again. He comes back to life. While the serpent, Satan, will take a fatal blow, an unrecoverable wound to the head, And here's where it gets interesting. Paul says that God will soon crush Satan under your feet. What? (laughs) If I was Tertius, the guy that's mentioned here uh, a couple verses later, if I was Tertius taking dictation from Paul, writing this letter, uh, I might have stopped him. Like, wait, Paul, are you sure that you want to say that? I mean, that's in Jesus, Genesis 3.15. Paul very well could have replied, Jesus was crushed for our iniquities so that we could get in on his Satan crushing. Right? 
Believers who read this letter then and now, believers under attack, you need to know when it comes to the, to, to the, to the deceivers trying to tear us apart, trying to trip you up, sending you to your crash and burn, in the end, God will be victorious and we will be in on the victory. God will be triumphant over evil and we will triumph with him because we will triumph in him, in Christ Should we be confident in ourselves? No, absolutely not. Should we be confident in God? Absolutely. Confident in God who's at work in us because of Jesus Christ. Won't be long, folks. Won't be long. Look up. God will defeat the deceiver soon. Look up. Next. God can strengthen you now. So, the end of verse 20, verse 20 said, the the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The opening and closing of Paul's letters often include grace and peace. And he's just mentioned the God of peace, and then he mentions the, adds the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with you be with you now, be with you in this moment, in your trials, in your struggles, in the conflict. And, and I believe that, and then he sort of, you know, grace and peace, and so he goes on into these other greetings. It's, it's to, again, grace and peace, kind of a typical greeting. He goes these final uh, greetings from these other people who are with him. But then I, I believe this final flourish of praise is really just another expression of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ being with them in their in this moment. So verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith this is all this building up building up this is the God who can strengthen you the God who strengthens you now And my outline, when I say that God can strengthen you now, it's not that now at the beginning of verse 25, now to him, no, not not that now, Uh, beginning of verse 26, but has all that was hidden before has now been disclosed. The gospel that was in some sense a mystery, the work of God to bring people from all peoples to himself through faith in the Jewish Messiah who came, yes, to fulfill his promises to Israel, but is fulfilling his, his purpose to redeem a people from all peoples for the sake of his name. That's, that's what's going on. Now, here, here is your confidence for living in a time of opposition and struggle. Yes, soon Satan will be defeated when you will celebrate final victory. But even now, we live in the era of salvation spreading through all the world. Now, how... How is that giving you any encouragement if you've already accepted Christ? If you're like, yeah, I, I'm, I've already in on that. Well, when you see how the gospel is God's plan to redeem a people for himself among all the peoples of the earth, including sinners like you and me, understand that this is the unfolding plan of the, he describes him as the eternal God, Verse 26, right? He's the eternal God. This is his unfolding plan, the God who is beyond time, 
yet working out his plan in human history over millennia, generation after generation of Jews looking for Messiah. What they didn't always realize is that, that Jesus would be, in the words of uh, John chapter 4, he would be the Savior of the world. But it was right there in the prophets. Remember all those quotations uh, from Isaiah and the Psalms and Deuteronomy that Paul gave us in chapter 15 that we talked about that in the slideshow, clicking through. All the ways the Gentiles are going to be brought in. Many times, his promises seemed like they weren't going anywhere. Time and again, God showed his purpose would be accomplished. Mighty kings and evil empires could not stop it. The folly and fickleness of his own people could not, would not nullify it. As Paul quoted Isaiah in the previous chapter, in verse 21 of chapter 15, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Folks, this is certain. This, it's, he's carrying it out. He's accomplishing his purpose of redemption, of salvation. So, if his gospel had reached from Jerusalem to Rome and Ogle County, Illinois, do you think at this point he's going to abandon his plan? Do you think, is he going to forsake you whom he has called and redeemed? Will he, will he leave you without the strength to serve him well, to finish the battle? No. All this, Paul says, is according to the gospel, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. All this is according to God's command to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith, a, faith, a phrase that Paul dropped in the very beginning of his letter, chapter 1, verse 5. He said, he said I, I'm out there preaching the gospel according to God's command because, and, and the goal is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Chapter 1, verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And he goes on to explain what that faith is. We're justified by faith, not by works. Yet this faith is itself, in some sense, obedience to God's call. And it results in lives of obedience, people made holy, sanctified, glorified. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That, that for the sake of his name lines up with how Paul now ends the letter. So very briefly, this is the close. Look up. God will be glorified forever. He will defeat the deceiver soon. He can strengthen you now. He will be glorified forever. Paul has encouraged the believers to be wise, not naive. But our hope, our confidence is not in our wisdom, our discernment. It's in the only wise God. Verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Or... Well, you can say, if it's the, it, it, our, our hope, our confidence is in the only wise God because you and I would not have written the story this way, <laughs> right? You and I, we're, we're wondering when, when, this ha when, when the cancer diagnosis comes, we're like, wait, wait, what? This is in the story? This is in the plan? What are you doing? How did, this is not how we would have written it. This is not how we would have done it. But here we are. And he is the only wise God. He knows the plan, and he is able 
to carry it out to the beautiful, glorious ending. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That was the end of chapter 11. Here, to him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Why that specifically? Because for all the ways, and in my small group, we've been studying the Trinity. Um, they've been probably thinking, Bruce, you're just using that generic word God, but Jesus Christ is all through here. Yes, absolutely. We're bringing that out right here, right now. Jesus Christ. It's not just God, generic God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why? Because, because Jesus is how the plan of redemption was carried out. And that's how we are brought to glory. Glory in the gospel. We who had exchanged the glory of God for idolatry and immorality, chapter 1 said. We who fell short of the glory of God, chapter 3, yet come to him by faith. He can say this of us, in chapter 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that Jesus, he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you, get, do you hear some confidence in there? Do you, get, do you get some confidence from that? This letter ends not with a wish, May God be glorified. Well, I, you know, hope so out there. Uh, may God be glorified in Jesus Christ. It is a confident expectation. He will be glorified in Christ in us. This will be our worship song forever. This is our confidence today. Look out for the threats, folks, but look up. Your redemption draws near. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment. Lord, there are so many lies in our world today, so many people trying to worm their way in, slither into the beautiful garden that you have created uh, as the church. God, would you, would you thwart every attack as we wait for your final victory? Satan's ultimate defeat. God, would you help us to be discerning, help us to be, um, have such a deep and rich wisdom when it comes to your word, uh, an, an understanding, intuitions and instincts and commitments and convictions that arise from knowing you and your word so well, that your spirit is so uh, active among us that we, we just have a nose for what is true, what is good, and what is right and that we are not naive, but in some ways blessed to be untouched by the evil. God, would you protect us in that way? Lord, not because we're smart enough, not because we're so shrewd, because we're, so, we're always um, looking out for the bad guys, but because you 
are good. You are mighty. Your plan is unstoppable. Your purpose that now includes us by grace through Christ, that, that you're going to finish the work that you've begun. We look up to you, and I pray that that would be our strength, that you would be our strength, our hope, and it would be to your glory today and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.